feel like there might be some folks out there who only watch horror movies during Halloween. Oh, I'm definitely not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I know that we're doing this on the occasion of basically it's Halloween. Yeah. But we're also uh, two individuals who watch a lot of horror movies. Yes. Um, <laughs> hilariously, I think I watch the least amount of horror movies near Halloween. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because I'm always too slammed trying to finish my costumes because mm -hmm. my costumes are always ridiculously elaborate mm -hmm. and very often homemade. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm yeah. always probably fixating on the decoration of the dwelling, the indoor, the yeah. outdoor. I am one of those who you walk by the house and you're either marveling and taking a photo of it or you think mm -hmm. a weirdo lives there, one <laughs> or the other. But uh, uh, happy Halloween, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name's Jeff and I'm joined by Simon. Hello. And we're here to talk about horror movies. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy that subject. Um, you know, I was thinking about a place to start, and mm. that would be where it all started mm. for the the two of us. Like, can you remember like the the first horror movie you saw when you were young? And can you remember oh. the horror movie that sort of became your gateway into becoming a horror fan? They may not be one and the same. They're not. But I definitely, the first horror movies I saw were definitely the Universal Monster movies on Turner Classic Movies. Pick pick a year, I was a young child. Um. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. By contrast, my first was A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. <laughs> so I have 50 years separation there for you. Yeah, yeah. No, my, mine were definitely the old black and white Universal Monster movies. But then definitely the movie that got me into, it's funny to say, modern horror was the first Evil Dead because that was unrated and I could check it out from family video without my mom having to be there. <laughs> Which is a film that probably should be rated. Not probably. To, not to sound like a prude, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the 12 to 13 year olds maybe shouldn't be. I mean, I turned out okay. Yeah, well, I, I think so, but. Well, I've shared this story in the podcast before that I had older siblings and if they were babysitting me and I was not an appropriate age yet, they may or may not have put on the VHS of A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm -hmm. which from the get-go has images you could consider disturbing <laughs> uh, for a lower elementary student. Um, yeah. <laughs> the film, and I don't think I have a, a unique answer here, but I, I will hold this film dear, near and dear to my heart. Forever, the first film that I consider to be the gateway for, oh, I like horror films, is perhaps unique because it's not a horror director, but it's The Shining. Oh, uh, for sure. And I just had one of those magical moments where it was on late at night and I watched it. And this is maybe it gets mixed up with being complimentary towards Kubrick as much as it is complimentary toward the horror genre. But there's something about, you know, the last 40 minutes of that film, how it's mm -hmm. just sort of this white knuckle tension ride and... How there's not really dialogue no for the last 20 minutes of the movie and there was something about that that i noticed as a as a child i was used to obviously whatever children watch lots of uh lots of bright lights noises bright lights noises no yeah singing uh characters fun voices so there was something about taking away a human voice uh that made it scarier. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. I, I also think it's funny that Stephen King reportedly hated Kubrick's Shining. Oh, that could be. 
an entire that could be yeah other <laughs> podcast if have you seen oh my gosh so dear listener uh i apologize in advance for how many times simon and i may or may not say have you, you seen, seen ellipsis yeah. mm-hmm. but have you seen the room 237 documentary yes. about the shining yeah in which they break down all the ways in which kubrick <laughs> defied <laughs> king's source material even yeah. even down to little things of making the car the family drives red instead of yellow or is it yellow instead of red either way yeah, one of the two yeah whatever he could do to change it yes <laughs> um tell me more about evil dead though um do you remember again i'm not trying to make us uh sound like weirdos because we like disturbing things mm. but what did you respond to in evil dead i feel like i've talked about this on the podcast before too but just and I, I don't even think I could articulate it the first time I saw it, but like the sincerity of it, yeah. like everybody involved, like really wanted this movie to work. Yeah. And when I got older and read Bruce Campbell's biography and like memoir about the time filming that movie, it's like, yeah, they wanted it to work because they were like broke and cold yep. and yep. <laughs> just like, no, we will finish this movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just the the sincerity of it, the fact that it was so... Especially listener, if you've never seen Evil Dead, um, maybe start with Evil Dead too. Honestly, controversial opinion, but uh, <laughs> can't. I mean, can't deny. Yeah, it's just it's so bonkers. Yeah. Like there was there was never another. Like when I thought of scary movies, I thought of the Universal monster movies. I thought of I hadn't seen The Exorcist at that point, mm-hmm. but my mom grew up Catholic and was terrified of The Exorcist and talked about it every Halloween. Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> So just how completely different it was from what I thought horror movies could be. Yeah. yeah. I and actually just recently recently watched Evil Dead 2. So yeah. to break it down, Evil Dead 1, a group of friends go out to a cabin in the woods. Yes. Uh, which was probably already a bit of a trope by that point. Now it's become a mega trope. Yeah. To the point that there's a movie called cabin in the woods, which I can also talk about, but, (laughs) uh, evil spirits per se, very undead spirits in the forest start, uh, terrorizing them. Uh, and one by one, well, I don't want to spoil it. However, uh, there is a quote unquote sequel that happens six years later. That is sort of like this do over. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. With a bigger budget. Yeah. Yeah. First 15 minutes are essentially just the first movie, but very condensed. And then it continues on. They jokingly called it splat stick. It's yes. Yeah. Yes. It both movies are, uh, I value, I value both of them for different reasons and yeah. I value evil dead because it is, but I would stop short of calling it a parody of horror films Yeah. because again, I think it's sincerity. Yeah, even even the fact that at the end of that first movie, when the special effects are sometimes literally just oatmeal as a stand-in for, you know, zombification, right. like, <laughs> it's still everyone is playing it completely serious and straight. The soundtrack is completely serious mm-hmm. and straight. But, like, yeah, the way it's shot, the way it's edited, the mm-hmm. way, you know, sometimes to get around the fact that it's Sam Raimi's little brother playing mm-hmm. the zombies because, yeah, right. <laughs> well, deadites. But, you know, the dead eye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that those kinds of movies are which we've covered before are uh, if you're too scared to watch them they're they can be more fun if you watch them in a group because mm-hmm. you can treat it like a roller coaster. So 
that is that independent spirit, that lo-fi spirit of 1981, the Raimi brothers in the woods. Yeah. With their fresh out of college, literally. Uh, and I don't know what it is. I suppose you have to take it back to, I guess, Last House on the Left is always referenced in the early 70s of so the new guerrilla horror film stylists yeah. who are following in, I guess they're following in the wake of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, and then you've also, you've also got everything that was happening in Italy with Italian horror at oh, the time, yes. too. So then you throw in, like... Fulci and Bava. Yeah, you throw in, like, dorky film students watching Italian horror movies, you know. <laughs> and then they turn around and... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Fulci and Bava. Uh, Italian horror, usually um, zombies or, or undead and... A lot of demons. A lot of demons, but in a word, gore. Uh, yeah. I think the Italians of the late 60s are very interested in grossing you out. Yes, and doing so with incredibly bright colors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so I like to show, like, I like showing my friends horror films. I don't know. Yeah, same. I don't know the, what that says about us. Yeah, and, and like, the more bonkers, the better. Yeah. Like, I found this... It's not quite lost, obviously, because you can still see it, but it's like, quote unquote, lost Italian horror classic, All the Colors of the Dark, which is just a trippy satanic cult movie. Like, Interesting. the intro reminds me, oddly enough, of Terry Gilliam and Monty Python, but it's a horror movie. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So that, uh, let's see, Italians, we also have to mention Dario Argento. Yeah. And he, so we're getting into giallo murder horror mm -hmm. situations here with films like Suspiria. I always feel like Argento is considered the artist and like Fulci and Bob are like the gross blood guys. Yeah. But there's plenty of blood yeah. to go around. Uh, <laughs> you can, I think, get on this level of like saying, okay, this is frightening or disturbing or gross but kind of like admiring the technique of it all and mm. the inventiveness of it yeah all. because having to accomplish some of this imagery with budgets of like a dollar you right. know right. <laughs> i'm very creative yeah i'm 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 being a little sarcastic but like they are very cheap movies <laughs> right yeah um which kind of brings me, I mean, jumping way too far ahead, but yeah. that's kind of like where I feel like we're getting our new horror renaissance now is because those movies are still incredibly cheap to make mm -hmm. and still reliably make a decent profit. Right. And then that's where you end up getting, especially in a sea of summer blockbusters, re reboots, Marvel movies, yada, yada, like that's where directors can often get the chance to cut their teeth on something unique and interesting that mm -hmm. a studio will take a chance on as a horror movie. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, if we want to unpack and just make... I jumped too far ahead. No, no, no. Uh, we should uh, unpack and make commentaries upon modern horror and where it starts. Uh, my instincts would say that you, you have to maybe start around the Scream and Blair Witch situation. Yeah in the in the mid to late 90s yeah uh where it does feel like after the late 80s where uh horror has a bad reputation and i think <laughs> you can find plenty of films out there 
the in the late 80s that are leaning into that bad reputation and not really caring that caring that they are making garbage because right. <laughs> they know the kids at the mega mall eating their pizza and the arcade are still going to show up for their garbage yep and so scream comes along and it feels like horror is back but i don't i don't know i don't think it sustains i think that yeah, there's definitely an ebb and flow to Absolutely. it. You know, you get Blair Witch, then you get a bunch of Blair Witch knockoffs. Right. Scream, you eventually... Well, and then you also get the influx of Japanese horror, uh, yes. too. Ring. Yeah. Which, and then you get weird American remakes of the Japanese mm-hmm. horror movies, and it's like, does The Grudge work as an American movie? Not really. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. That That is interesting, though, because I feel like as a was a horror film follower when ring and grudge came around Uh, it's it's value to me was that it it made me aware of its source material and then made me aware of what else was going on around the world in horror yeah which makes me want to jump to south korean horror which is oh yeah they're really good Which is also not for the faint of heart. No, they are not. Was I think I watched Metamorphosis last year and was just like, <laughs> like body horror doesn't begin to describe it, but that's really at the root of what's going on. Yeah. Um, like, well, Metamorphosis was um, like a family possession movie okay. where like the the son who's left to go become a priest comes back home and all of a sudden starts noticing that everyone in his family is possessed by a demon. Um, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I have, I have weird feelings about body horror movies mm-hmm. because sometimes I'm just completely not phased by them. Interesting. <laughs> and it's what was that? I believe it's South Korean and I think it's late nineties, if not 99 on the dot. And I don't know if it's called the audition or the interview or oh i think it's the audition yeah yeah which is one i saw yeah uh which <laughs> he he paused wondering if he was going to say which i liked uh <laughs> but like that's, that's I, me and tetsuo the Iron i admire Man. the craft of it i thought it was yeah. i thought it was a, a remarkable film so some of the best zombie movies i've seen have also been south korean movies like train to busan is amazing a modern masterpiece yeah sequel Um, not so much sequel is a whole more of an action movie uh but a zombie zombie plague which is how it usually starts Mm -hmm. but what if we're going to try and make your getaway on a train that is slowly being invaded and consumed by zombies yeah it's like die hard on a train but (laughs) your odds aren't as good and you're fighting zombies Um, yeah (laughs) oh man such a good movie right there was a an article I read that I found entertaining. And again, I we sound like complete sickos to everyone who's listening to this podcast. Mm. Uh, it said zombie apocalypse is ranked on how likely you are to survive. Like if you were Ooh. dropped into the middle of it. Yeah. And this article pretty much considered train to be on zero. You're, the, yeah, you're done. Yeah. That is, it's an intense zombie film. <sighs> Keeps so your good. pulse up. Yes. Shaun of the Dead. I think I'd survive Shaun of the Dead. That was ranked high on survivability. Yeah, which that was my 16th birthday awesome. was uh, going to go see Shaun of the Dead at the local indie theater that magically popped up in my, it, it pops up and then it disappears yeah. in my hometown, yeah. you know, like indie theaters sometimes do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about though sincerity, because that's a movie that is extremely silly at points. Yes. But also, uh, can have sincere moments of feeling like an actual horror film. Yes. 
Uh, and especially like it, it's got the emotional punch that zombie movies need. And I think that like where like I like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, but I think some of the the fast zombie genre that came out of it sometimes miss the point that you there needs to be an emotional resonance at the core of a horror movie, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise you're just watching blood splatter on the screen, <laughs> which is fun. Don't get me wrong. Right. But making a modern classic, it's got to have like eh, hereditary, right. which I've been dancing around for like five minutes because oh. I don't want to just launch right into it. Right? We're, get, we're, getting her- <laughs> we're getting hereditary. So I always feel compelled to, to look at this uh, evolution. So, oh gosh, how did I... Not that we're jumping all over the place. We are, though, but it's fine. This is going to be a big swerve. How did I get this far in the podcast and not talk about Nosferatu as as another formative experience of coming to appreciate the art form of horror films uh, from 1922-ish? Yeah. Murnau? Yep. Yeah. F F W Murnau? Yes. And the only reason I remember that is because there's a Willem Dafoe movie where he I'm blanking on the name of it right now. I believe it's just called The Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. Where John Malkovich is playing F. W. Murnau. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh and Willem Dafoe is playing Max Shrek, who mm-hmm. is this actor done up in a rat like, bat like, goblin like oh, makeup yeah. thing. With rat-like teeth and yep. pointy ears, and I—I I just had a, a memory come back to me, like out of the blue, like lightning. I the bargain bin DVD, or it literally was a bin you had to go diving through at our local Meyer. There was interview with a vampire with typo negative doing the soundtrack. Whoa! <laughs> that was incredible. That was out of print for a while. It's very fun. It's oh, easily so... available on YouTube now. But yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. To the late Anne Rice source material for a 1994 film starring two dreamboats, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Who'd have ever thunk they'd ever be on screen together? Uh, I don't have anything else to say about that movie. Yeah, I've heard from uh, someone I consider a reliable source that the new series. I hear the new shows is pretty is good. Better I haven't than seen the film. it yet. Oh, I'd believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I say that as someone who kind of unironically loves Queen of the Damned, the, the first interview with the vampire movie isn't that great. <laughs> oh, man. Queen of the Damned is good. Uh, yeah. So, Interview with the Vampire, 1994. Right. Comes Wait, out did of... I say Interview with the Vampire? Because I meant Nosferatu that I found in the bargain bin. Oh, that, see, now that would be interesting. We're keeping yeah, all this in sorry. because I want the listener to imagine Interview with the Vampire soundtracked by Typo Negative. That would be way better. That would be way better. Yeah. <sighs> But so 1922, it's it's Nosferatu. This is the silent era. It's German expressionism. And I believe it's incredibly unauthorized. I don't think the Stoker. Oh, yeah. Not not a single royalty check was to be had there. (laughs) The Stoker estate did not like it and then actively pursued destroying Mm. any copy they could. Legend has it, and let's believe legend, that only one copy survived. And thus, we're able to see copies of it to this day. Uh, Honestly, thank God. So they, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Plus, whatever archivist stored that away in a yeah. box somewhere. Yeah. But hey, have you ever seen Vampire? 
Vampire. It's a uh, no, a, but I think we have it here. We do have it here. Library, um, folks. Check I, them all out from the library. Yes, check them all out from the library. Um, I handed Vampire to somebody the other day who was uh, despondent that our copy of Bell Lugosi's Dracula was was checked out. Yeah, um, as it, it typically is at yeah, Halloween. Yeah, um, it came out the same year, but I don't know if you remember, but Bell Lugosi's Dracula was one of the first talkies. Right. Vampire is still a silent movie, and it's an adaptation of uh, Carmilla, which is a French book that came out a couple years before dracula sure. kind of bram stoker kind of aped on it a little bit i'm not yeah, yeah. sure um but it is essentially you know what if dracula was lesbians interesting yeah <laughs> and they don't play to that too much in the obviously the 20s movie mm-hmm. um but the effects on it are incredible and it's just eerie and weird and they had a lot of like ghostly imagery on the screen type mm-hmm. effects mm-hmm. even before you know what's really going on it's delightful interesting yeah i mean i can't help but but mention have you seen uh yeah. this this doesn't pertain to specifically to materials that are taking in library but there's you and i have talked off mic about shutter there's yeah. a new series on there called the i think it's called the queer history of horror Found oh, to be yeah. very fascinating. No, I haven't watched it yet. I did watch one of my favorite YouTubers, James Summerton, just did like a queer history of film, mm-hmm. like two hour long YouTube essay. Incredible. It's, yeah, no, it's amazing mm-hmm. and it's very worth watching. Um, but I think that there's a lot going on in those films that yeah. maybe people did not read it, yeah. when they're they're coming out. And I think that's that just gets into all this fascinating subtext about Nosferatu or Dracula, mm-hmm. you know, being the other, uh, being the outcast, being living on the outside of town, etc., yeah. uh, and having, you know, an un- an unimproved uh, lifestyle. Obviously, it's it's an extreme, right? But and then you can kind of get into Chucky at that point. Like, there's secretly Chucky's directed by a gay guy, right? Yeah, Chucky has a non-binary child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Chucky, the Chucky series, which I believe are like six or seven films at this point. Right. And a TV show. Oh, man. Yeah. Where, oh, man, the Chucky TV show. Have you seen it? No. It's so. I did see the reboot Chucky from two years ago with uh... the voice of Mark Hamill, folks. Yeah, not great. I love Mark Hamill, but that wasn't that wasn't great. No. Um, but the the show is a delight. The main character is like doing his own coming of age gay teenage story, awesome. and then Chucky's kind of happening on the side. Mm-hmm. But at one point, uh, he comes out to Chucky, and Chucky's like, "Yeah, I've got a non-binary kid. It's cool." And I'm just awesome. like, "What? <laughs> That's awesome! It's yeah. canon." Yeah, and like. Again, it's you'd never want to like identify with the monsters mm-hmm. in any horror movie, but after a certain point, you know, if society brands you as a monster enough, you just try and find acceptance wherever you can. Right. Which is kind of what I think a lot of like the queer horror scream queen, yada yada, all oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Uh also check out Dragula if you've got a shutter subscription. It's a really great little drag competition horror oh, show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, so Dracula and Frankenstein, early 30s, mm. the, the Universal Monsters. Yeah. Uh, I actually it, think The Invisible Man is my favorite one out of all those. Oh, so Claude Rains yeah. playing uh, a supervillain? Yeah, um, essentially. Or an anti-hero? <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, uh, and 
mad scientist? Is he into science? Is he a yeah, doctor? Yeah, because he, makes, he makes the thing that yeah. turns him invisible. So, yeah. And he wants to basically use this power to conquer the world. And yep. marvelously has one of the best... Uh, villainous cackles uh, laughs of all time oh absolutely and the special effects are incredible oh yes uh, right. oh yes absolutely i mean i think i think it goes without saying that we're definitely in the practical effects over cgi camp especially yep. in terms of do you want your movie to age well right spend the money on practical effects absolutely <laughs> yeah this is having bandages over your face and taking them off in real time yeah. uh getting dressed having the figure of a person legitimately appear right one wonders if claude rains is like well they can't see my face i'm probably gonna have to not go from 10 to 11 but like up to like 70 yeah and it it pays off it does absolutely (laughs) does invisible man wolf man etc and then it pops back into when you get the british are making yeah hammer studios yep you get a totally new dracula with yeah. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and you get Peter Cushing, who uh, becomes your new Doctor Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and that that's horror for a while, and then we get into the '60s, and it's Rosemary, and it's is it Prestige? Well, you missed the horror comedy section. Oh yeah, like the Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman. I also watched all those as a kid. Classic. <laughs> so, like you know, I think I think that also says something that horror and comedy have been twin genres with a lot of crossover since like the jump. Absolutely. Right. They're both touching into a different visceral reactions, but I feel like they're visceral reactions that live close Very to each close other. Together, we have yeah. kind of touched on before that that notion that some people who do ride roller coasters laugh. Yeah. A lot scream, but some are laughing because it just they can't explain it. I can't explain it. Right. Just much smarter the smarter people than me have tried to explain it. Right. Or there's like the nervous laugh. Yeah. Like I could see myself being a kid and uh it, it's such a juxtaposition. I think there's a lot there. You your natural response is to laugh at Abbott and Costello. Mm. Your natural response is also to maybe be scared of the wolfman. Yeah. So <laughs> what happens when those two things come together? It's I think it might be genius. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but sorry, so, you were talking about the 60s and Rosemary's Baby and is horror prestige or not, which is literally an argument we can have all the way through to today. Is horror prestige because you do have Rosemary's and Exorcist within a five-year yeah. period of itself. and But forever ignored by the Academy. Yeah. <sighs> Though, I mean, Rosemary's Baby did get nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Right. Yeah, Exorcist did get nominated for Best Picture. It didn't win. Interesting. And then it's been just dust mm-hmm. for horror movies in the Academy since then. I will scream until I'm blue in the face if I ever meet like some like a lot of Academy members about yeah. Tony Collette getting snubbed for uh, Hereditary. Like, yeah. But, a performance for the ages. Yeah. Uh, and I and I promise we are getting there. also mention a shout out to night of the living dead yeah george romero uh who is you know george romero harvey corman they're kind of those lo-fi gorilla style yeah. filmmakers of the 60s that we that well, we 
And especially now that we have access to more of George Romero's early work as it's getting re-released on DVD, like The Amusement Park or um, Season of the Witch, yeah. yada yada, they are they are bonkers. Right. Like, he struck gold with Night of the Living Dead. Everything else is just... I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like them. Would I ever watch them more than once? Probably right. not. Right. <laughs> I mean, except like the crazies. Right. That's, right. But there's a lot of love, a lot of love really for... George's sequel, Dawn of the Dead, yeah. which I think is 72, 70s. It's not it's somewhere in there. I almost want to say it's late 70s. Yeah, you might be right. Because it took a while. And, uh, and then, you know, Day of the Dead, which I, <laughs> speaking of memories that return to you like a lightning out of the blue, the um, I used to have to get up ridiculously early for high school. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking like five in the morning. And like at that point, there's not much on TV, uh, except, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel wasn't playing, you know, infomercials at five in the morning sometimes. And I just it was like several weeks in a row I would turn on the TV in the morning while I was eating my cereal and see uh, Bub tearing someone in half in uh, Day of the Dead first thing in the morning. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dawn Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. The, the rest of them. Like exactly, yeah, the rest yeah. of them. I was going to say, this this trapes into the late 70s where you have Halloween by John Carpenter. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, is is horror mainstream again? Is horror popular again? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it just quickly is not again. Yep. It ebbs and flows, as we've said, over the years. Mm-hmm. And of course we had some peaks and we had some valleys. We had our Scream. We had our Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. But eventually we get up to a film by Robert Eggers called The Witch. Yeah. And I feel like that, for me, that's the... That's the start of the new current. That is the paradigm shift moment. I don't know what they call it. Smart horror. I think I've heard that phrase before. Right. And I think I've also heard John Carpenter making fun of the phrase smart horror before because it's never... Especially, again, when you've got that sincerity, it's never not smart. It's just the witch, especially because it's done in like old English and they had such a dedication to using like only period tools Mm -hmm. to build the sets and yada, yada. It's just, um, have I said yada, yada too much on this podcast? I do apologize. It's okay. um, Maybe it's an incantation and you're slowly... (laughs) spellbinding the listener they don't maybe know. Ooh, ooh, you have to repeat it five times haunted podcast there exactly. you go <laughs> but the witch is uh essentially a pilgrim era where a family of well the father at least a family yeah. of zealots who are just too intense for the community are literally kicked out of the community yep. they go off into the woods Try to make a life of it. Everything seems like it's okay. And then it turns into a one-family witch hunt. And then it's a one-family witch hunt. One-bedroom witch hunt. Yep. (laughs) One-room cabin. With one black goat named Philip. Yes. Which I don't own a lot of Funko Pops because I kind of don't see the point. No offense, (laughs) listener, if you do. But I do own the black Philip Funko Pop because that is ridiculous to me. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I love that movie. I, I own the script of that movie Amazing. as a book, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and it isn't too long after The Witch. 
that we eventually do get to a film called Hereditary. I have a very fun crossover story between the two. Oh, sure. Which is that when Ari Aster was screening Hereditary for the A24 assemblage, the only person who like started clapping and pointing and going, yeah, was Robert Eggers. <laughs> uh, A24 is a studio that has produced a lot of the films that have come out in this modern era of quote unquote smart horror that we have been referencing. Yeah. And if you want, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. If you want further uh, listening, you A24 had a podcast for a little while and the two of them, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers kind of interviewed each other. So they do seem to be horror BFFs. Yeah. <laughs> so, so several similar references, but in completely different directions. Right, right. Yeah. So tell us about Hereditary for the folks who haven't seen it. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, whenever I talk about Hereditary, I never want to spoil the decisive midpoint of the movie. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about which doesn't spoil it is that movie has such a distinct... I feel tone, yeah. mood to it. Uh, I remember locking in with that movie immediately, or I hate that cliche, but it's true where you people will say a movie um, sunk its claws into you, like yeah. grabbed you from minute one oh, and absolutely. just did not let go. And like it plays to so many of my favorite like horror tropes where there's like, um, like I like at the end of Rosemary's baby when she's, you know, given birth to the baby, but doesn't realize it lived. And she's like laying in her apartment and you see somebody from the cult walking behind her and she doesn't notice that person yet, but you've seen them. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a, there's some of that in hereditary. There's a lot of like blink and you miss it. There's something hiding in the darkness in hereditary. There's, a very fun shot that references a Pink Floyd album cover in Hereditary. <laughs> um, There's but... something to be said for that because Hereditary has all a variance of volume because yeah. there are off the charts, incredible, outrageous scare moments, mm. but there are a lot of subtle gestures too. Yeah. Uh, and the soundtrack's amazing. To, to set up the film, it is about a mother with two children, mm. older boy, older do- uh, younger daughter, mm. and her mother, so their grandmother, has just passed away. And it was a very eccentric grandmother, let's just say, mm-hmm. uh, who had a, a, a reputation um, mm-hmm. for being a little, a little, little witchy. Uh, a little bit. But that's not a spoiler. It's literally minute one. Yeah. There's, I'll never forget, um, horror novelist Josh Mallerman saying that the thing in that movie that scared him the most oh I don't want to give it away I'm sorry let's just say it was something incredibly subtle and incredibly quiet hmm. was uh, it the necklace that she wore in the first bit of the movie because when I saw that and I knew what it was I was just like oh we're going there okay <laughs> it was a it was a jump scare it happens I believe in Tony Collette's bedroom and oh, she that, just yep. turns to see something in the corner uh, yep. just so subtle and yeah. that's all you need and it can sometimes scare the pants off people oh yeah for sure and the soundtrack to that movie i would be remiss if i didn't mention colin stetson's soundtrack to that movie and the fact that the when we talk about how it gets like incredibly loud at points during like the last bit of the movie uh 
not to spoil too much, but the the, the we can the, say there's uh, there's a cult. There's a cult. There's a cult. You know, and um, there's a bit earlier in the movie where somebody's reading about the cult, and it mentions how the demon that the cult worships is brought in with like big horns and trumpets and yada yada, and the soundtrack just crescendos into this absolutely incredible. And then it ended up getting used as like a popular TikTok sound for a while, so that was really odd for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's the thing about the witch and hereditary hmm. and i don't know what this says but again me foisting horror films on my friends and and bringing them to these movies uh a review i've heard in both of those instances of the witch and hereditary was i didn't think i liked this movie while i was watching it but i like it after seeing the ending and i Hmm. I felt that way about The Lighthouse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is uh, Edgar's follow-up. Yeah. Uh, So there's something to that of sticking it out, Mm -hmm. enduring. (laughs) Yeah, the um, a couple times I've shown Hereditary to people and like we've had to stop after the the midpoint scene um, that I will not spoil. It's a very good movie though, I promise you. Even if you have to stop at that point, go back to it. Right, right. You know, there's something I heard about cinema produced in Hong Kong in the 70s and 80s about, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but how they would make their films to basically have something exciting or action or sensational happen every 10 minutes Mm -hmm. because the audiences often at midnight screenings were uh, so discerning that they would leave if they got bored. Yep. So that's how filmmakers started to make movies. (laughs) Now, granted, that is kind of what scream operates at and a lot yeah. of mainstream horror films will give you something to you know a jump scare every 10 minutes yeah uh, and the pacing is good but you know hereditary is not that yeah the Her- witch is not that yeah hereditary is very much like a family drama if you don't know right. if you, you know you know until you it, get to the middle right yeah and again sincerity yep i it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but this is also like a sincere, no holds barred depiction of grief, mm-hmm. especially after a turning point that you're, you've been mentioning. So yeah. grief and also just like family trauma, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, not to be cliche, but is often the scariest thing in your life at any it given is. moment. <laughs> and I think modern horror has tapped into that. Yeah. Uh, there is, to change gears, a a gonzo little horror film that came out during the pandemic called Malignant, uh, which I don't know if you've seen yet. I still haven't seen it. It's on my list. I know. Just so much <laughs> to say that the ending gets into, you know, gonzo stuff. Hmm. Uh, or, you know, color out of space. It, it, right. Yeah. It starts from a place of sincere depictions of uh, grief, trauma, dysfunctional relationships. Mm-hmm. And you do find yourself or i have found myself thinking like that's the thing that's hitting me harder than the hyperbolic blood splatter and i think there's something there yeah there's again several people much smarter than i am have written several words about whether hereditary is like a trans allegory interesting and honestly the first time i saw it is this every podcast is this what i could talk about (laughs) (laughs) it's okay it's a rare perspective anyway um I honestly, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it. Grant, the first time I watched it, it was three in the morning. Right. And right. Yeah. 
Um, but it is something that I think about more often now when I rewatch it because I'm that weirdo that rewatches it on Mother's Day. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but. Oh. Yeah, I definitely got, uh, well, completely changing gears. Yeah. Um, I feel like Nicolas Cage's little renaissance has also been happening thanks to like off the beaten path horror movies. Let's talk about Nicolas Cage. Mandy. And a little film called Mandy. Or Color Out of Space. <laughs> and then later on Color Out of Space. Yeah. Mandy, I, I apologize that I'm not remembering the director, but oh, it right. is incredible. Tour de force. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, might be the best performance of his career absolutely uh this is a highly stylized but you will love how stylized it is highly stylized film revenge tale i would say yep a uh set in the 80s yep speaking of cults cults again (laughs) creepy cult leaders creepy cults there's a there's a biker gang that makes the gray acid air quotes you definitely don't want to take the gray acid uh You are going to spend the whole movie with a character who is, and this is to Nick Cage's credit, uh, sympathetic but unhinged at yep. the same time. Sympathetic but psychotic at the yeah. same time. And you are rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a bloody chainsaw battle at the end of this movie. There's it's... a chainsaw fight. Yes. Kids. Clashing chainsaws. Listen, you like your lightsaber fights? This is a chainsaw fight. Uh, and it's incredible. But in the Dario Argento way, there are entire scenes that are lit with bright red, yep. moody, bright yellow, dark scenes, shadows. Mm-hmm. So from technique alone, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. And like there's it was the first time I ever saw deep fakes used in a film. Oh, I did not um, remember that. Yeah. The the bit where the cult leader has like drugged up Mandy. Oh and is talking directly at her and his face starts morphing into her face. I was not prepared for how smooth that transition was going to be. And that's what finally made me go, oh, okay, deep fakes maybe are kind of a terrifying thing. (laughs) And so this is another great segue for me to say that we enjoy horror because we enjoy feeling scared of things that aren't really in the real world because Mm. deep fakes are utterly terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) I would rather watch vampires. But... So Colorado Space, which I think comes from an H.P. Lovecraft uh, short story or book. It does. Uh, and it something falls from the sky, yep. space, and starts mutating a family who lives on a farm raising alpacas. Yes. Because, of course, Nicolas Cage, you think of alpacas uh-huh. and farmer. <laughs> yes. uh, but again, he's great. Again, a great performance, a sincere yeah. performance. Well, and again, bringing it back to the witch, it's yeah. a dad that wants to take his family out into the middle of nowhere away from mm-hmm. society because he mm-hmm. thinks society is like corrupt and bad. So we're going to go out and raise alpacas. And then you get the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to people. <laughs> Ellipsis, no spoilers, but also parentheses, body horror. So, yeah. you know. Uh, that also, um, fun facts, that was the only movie that's ever made me faint. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, thankfully it was, you know, well, thankfully, what a weird phrase to say. Thankfully it was 2020 and yeah. I was at home. Yeah. So I just fainted on my couch. Yeah. <laughs> so but, these movies can trigger the real deal yeah visceral emotions and reactions uh i don't even know it was one of those um there's i've it's one of those things where i've only ever seen it written out i've never heard it spoken aloud Mm -hmm. but it's like a specific 
like thing where just sometimes it happens when people get stuck with needles or whatever they just faint dead away mm -hmm. that was that was the thing wow. so it wasn't like i was i mean obviously i was incredibly disturbed and terrified by a certain point right. but it just the visuals and the sounds and everything just combined and i was just boom i was out like a light <laughs> right i don't think one says okay i'm gonna faint now and yeah just like yeah and just goes yeah. <laughs> willingly does it that's again the sound mixing all of the techniques behind mm -hmm. it the lighting everything the sound effects yeah it's all a symphony and that's a movie that I think also uses CGI to its benefit, not to its detriment, mm -hmm. because it's all there's it's that combination of practical and CGI, especially when you start adding the unreality of the literally the color out of space mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you got on board here at the Fernet Library and started adding movies and developing that collection, mm -hmm. do you remember having the thought occur in your head to like, well, immediately I have to get this horror film fill in the blank. Oh, oh, that did happen a few times. I will say, um, Ed, our our lovely now patron who used to buy for the movie collection. Love you to bits, Ed. Please come to the next trivia night. Um <laughs> it, it was it's a pretty well rounded horror movie collection. He's a big horror fan. Yeah. Yep. Um, but there were a couple things that I think it was just more um copies got lost or damaged, mm -hmm. and in the interim, in between Ed sure. and me, it hadn't gotten reordered. Uh one of those was Hellraiser and then Hellraiser 2, which is really good in a completely different direction than the first Hellraiser movie, but still just incredible. The rest of them, not so much. Don't mm -hmm. bother with those. Um, and then we had Reanimator, but we didn't have Bride of Reanimator, mm -hmm. which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not a single heterosexual explanation for Bride of Reanimator. Like... <laughs> I think they even talk about it in the DVD commentary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack in in a lot of those movies. And I, yeah, I would recommend going check out that uh, Queer History. You'll, yes. It's threaded into almost any movie, um, even like Bride of Frankenstein, speaking of sequels. Oh, yeah. Um, but we could go on for hours. Uh, yeah, we could. Anything else we didn't cover? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, but yes. when do we have time? <laughs> uh, oh, okay. I will say in terms of horror movie remakes, mm -hmm. uh, especially recent ones, the Candyman one is absolutely worth seeing. Agree. 100% um, yeah. agree. Candyman one, it's incredible. I love that movie to bits. I also walked um, in skeptical, so it already same. had to win me over. Uh, yeah. And then it did. It did in such a huge way. Yeah. Uh, oh, crap. I'm blanking on the director's name. And I, I remember being upset the other day because I saw an ad for it on like Comcast or whatever. And they were like, oh, you know, Jordan Peele's candy. I'm like, no, Costa. he was just Nia Costa. Nia Costa. Yeah. Jordan Peele was just a producer on that movie, right. which, you know, good job, man. Spend your money well. Which <laughs> is something that kind of gets confused you'll think like oh was jordan peele the director of that oh wait no. was guillermo the director of the orphanage no you right. have to read the credits yeah but yeah the Candyman remake absolutely phenomenal i enjoyed the evil dead remake i know a lot of people didn't i did yeah i haven't watched it in a long time same but and so <laughs> when i was watching evil dead 2 the other night i was thinking i was trying to figure out what my feelings were about because i remember that Evil Dead remake from 2013 or what yeah. have you being incredibly gory and not comedic. Not that it had to be. Right. 
Well, the first movie isn't necessarily That's comedic true. either. That's the thing. That's true. But I, and sometimes it was a little like on the nose with its, you know, possession as drug addiction metaphor. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> but it was, there was a fun, quite literal blood shower at the end of that movie. Um, yes. But then like last night, because I told you, I was like, all right, we're doing horror movies tomorrow. I'll watch something new tonight. I tried to watch the Hellraiser remake. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I didn't even finish it, honestly. I've heard the first half is very slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be its own. It could be its own podcast for me and Hellraiser, quite frankly, because I love that short story. Yeah. I love those first two movies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe Clive Barker shouldn't be allowed to play with his own toys anymore. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. so. Maybe, maybe the original. I... Because that's the thing is the Candyman remake was amazing. Exactly. He wasn't involved in it interesting mm, yeah interesting but yes uh, saw nightmare on elm street it freaked me out yep. saw the shining it really piqued my interest <laughs> saw rocky horror picture show and oh, i was like yeah. oh okay great so like this is where freaks are welcome like, yes <laughs> and then i saw uh the witch and hereditary and i was just yeah fan ever since oh yeah Closing out this story, mm-hmm. speaking of going to movie theaters and the things you can only get in movie theaters, I saw Paranormal Activity way late, but it was like its last weekend as a midnight movie at the State Theater, and it was me, a good friend of mine, and two other strangers who were good friends. And again, midnight movie. If you've seen Paranormal Activity, you know what it's about. Sure. Um, literally, by the end of that movie, we were all sitting together. And like, yeah, beautiful. I know that sounds terrifying, but there's also something beautiful about it. Yeah, exactly. Like you're getting scared with people and then you're eventually looking over at the only other two people in the theater. Like, is this really freaky to you too? And then we're all sitting together, you know? Yeah. Made new friends that day. Exactly. The humanity of it all. Exactly. I need support. I need, I need shelter. I will seek my fellow human. Yeah. It brought you together. Uh, Hopefully you made it to the end of this podcast and you're not too weirded out by us or think that we're uh, crazy for loving all these strange and uh, disturbing Uh, films. Yeah. But if you ever need a horror movie recommendation, yeah. Absolutely. Come to the reference desk. Uh, Simon will hook you up or just browse. Go to the uh, maroonish colored, blood-like colored horror genre sticker Hmm. and uh, just check it out. More info in the show notes, and uh, we will let you go. We hope that you have a happy Halloween and watch some good scary movies. Uh, and if it's hereditary, just just stay with it. Yeah. I give it- <laughs> This is a little too quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Thank you to John Duffy for giving us theme music, and we would encourage you to go to ferndalefriends.org or also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.